igniting, inspiring, and evoking the fire within. When you feel so loved, you can you feel like you can conquer anything. You can conquer the world because the power of love is beyond beyond recognition, beyond uh, description. Find a purpose, the purpose for your life. If you live your life beyond yourself, it will be amazing. You cannot give up because you have a, a stronger, a bigger purpose. For me, it was my family. But you have, you have to find your own purpose in life to make a meaning for your life. You're listening to the What's Your Inspiration podcast with Fox Byer. On this episode of the What's Your Inspiration podcast, we have Sarah M. Sarah is the author of How I Survived the Killing Fields. She overcame four years of captivity and a mass genocide in Cambodia that claimed over two million lives. She speaks to inspire her audience to thrive from pain to purpose to regain focus, build confidence and courage while renewing a sense of resiliency. She speaks for company events, conferences, podcasts, and more. Let's welcome Sarah to the podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 67 of the What's Your Inspiration podcast. Uh, today, someone who I've I just met virtually, she has a great story. A speaker and author of the book, How I Survived the Killing Fields, Sarah uses her strength, faith, and confidence drawn from her experience to inspire and encourage her audience to overcome fear and live a fulfilling life beyond survival. We have Sarah M. on the podcast today. Sarah, how are you? Pretty good. Thank you for having me, Fox. It's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, I'll go back to sort of how we got connected we're both on a kind of podcast matching sites because we're you know, both podcasters and like to listen, be on, and host podcasts. And I, you shared your story on that site, and I just felt like it matched with the um, the, the structure of the, the platform of this podcast. And uh, one thing led to another. I watched an interview that you gave on the Embers to Excellence podcast. You were outstanding. Um, uh, I bought your book, How I Survived the Killing Fields. We were supposed to record about a week ago, and I lost power here in New Jersey, but that gave me time to, 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 to read your book, How I Survived the Killing Fields. And it's an inspiring story that uh, would inspire um, anyone of all ages, and I wanted to, uh, to unpack that right now. So if you're ready, we'll, uh, Sarah, we'll unpack your story. I'm ready. Thank you. So, you know, from, from reading your book and knowing a little bit about you, growing up in, in Cambodia, talk about your upbringing there and, and how the affection that your parents showed you, which was, a, which was atypical of your culture, um, really impacted your life through difficult times and is reflective of your life today. Definitely. I love to talk about my childhood. That was a very happy time for me. I grew up in the farm area. My parents are farmers. And I, I am grateful that I was the firstborn child. 
And that means I have a special place in my parents' heart and, and they love me and I feel so secure and loved. And the environment in my, my area was surrounded by nature. We have so many fruit trees, all tropical, exotic fruit, and our house is very close to the river. So it was a beautiful setting and I, I feel at peace. Lovely. For sure. I mean, you talked about how initially you, you lived on a farm, correct? Yes. Um, and you, you, and you learned um, really how to, to not say negotiate, but um, you know, just through your parents, how to, how to generate income because you, you had to do that. Um, but I wanted to go back to the, the, the affection your parents showed you, like uh, they um, weren't afraid to give, give you a hug and a kiss, which was not uh, uh, typical of your culture. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? How did that help you get through the difficult times in your life? And how is it reflective of your, of your work today? Yes, definitely. Uh, my dad is not as affectionate as my mom, but my mom was very affectionate. And she, she talked to me privately about how much she loved me, about you know um, her decision that to hold on to the family unit and all that because of, of her love for me. So that that just secure, secure my my feeling of being loved. When when you feel so loved, you can you feel like you can conquer anything. You can conquer the world. Because the power of love is beyond beyond recognition, beyond uh, description. So um, that's, that's also step into the not, another phase in my life. When I become a teenager, my mom become paralyzed. She had an accident and she became paralyzed. And during that challenging time, I was the caregiver. And now it's my turn to show my affection to her. I, I took care of her with all my love. My, my intention is just do anything possible to help her to recover. So, yeah, it was kind of, it was, a, it was a, a freak accident, right? Yes. Um, how your mother became, became paralyzed. I mean, she, um, you know, I guess was, uh, working at the store with your dad and, and they had an argument, right? And she became angry and, and uh, threw something down and that just triggered something in her body. And for, for four years, right, you were her, um, her, her caretaker. Talk a little bit about the, the conversations that you had with your mother during this time. Like I, as I read How I Survived the Killing Fields, you know, you, I mean, education was highly valued in, 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 in your family, even though you had to go a long way um, to, to get to school. But talk about these conversations you had with your mother during the four years when she was basically bedridden. That, that's, that 
in a way, nursed her back to, to, to some kind of health. Yes, during that, during that very hard time in our family, um, I never, never grumble. I never feel as a burden at all. I feel like this is my duty. This is my role as a daughter. And um, I still keep up with my school. I never, never miss a day in school. But before I, before I, I ride my bicycle to the school, I did all my duty at home. I cleaned my mom and wash her face, brush her teeth and feed her and my baby brothers. So there's a lot of work before I start going to school, but I, I just feel like it's part of my job. I need to do that to nurture my family. And when I come back from school, I always find, try to find something fun to share with my mom. I always love to bring some of the funny thing, joke, and I can't wait to share with my mom. And whatever good thing that happened in school, I share with mom. So to help her cheer, you know, cheer her up. So that's that's my regular routine. You were, uh, I believe, 13, 14 years old at the time, right? And yeah. your youngest brother was born around that time, right? Yeah. So you're taking care of your mother and and um your your baby brother humor humor can be a great weapon right and you, you said you, you come home from school oftentimes and tell these jokes to your mother and you said even if they were bad bad jokes poor jokes you, you would tell them can you can you share maybe one of the jokes that you remember telling your mother during this time i have i don't remember it's a it's really really hard to uh, to to tell a joke translating from the Cambodian that's, joke into American joke. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I, it was worth a shot. It was I had to I had to give it a shot, but I know there there are as a Spanish teacher, there are some inconsistencies between uh, languages. Things don't totally translate and the humor is different, but it was worth a shot. Um, <laughs> it was worth a shot. But I'm I'm glad you used humor as a weapon. Um, just continuing on with that with that bond between your mother. Now, it had its roots, right, in her relationship with her dad. So talk about, um, you know, how your mother, uh, when she was around your age, how she had to take care of her dad. When my mom was very young, around 10, 11 years old, her dad had cancer, but they cannot help her help him in in a, in her hometown. So they realized that. Well, his her dad realized that he need to travel to Bangkok to get the better care. So they saw him get on the the train. That was the last thing they saw him. We never see him, they never see him return. So they assume that he did not make it through the surgery, so. Right, and, and you grew up in, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Badabang? Badambang. 
Bambang. Okay, and how far is Bambang from Bangkok? Oh. Mm. Very far. Very far. At least 500 miles. At least 500 miles. So he had to travel 500 miles to get the surgery, which um, um, he didn't survive. So, you know, your, um, your mother is really, really took over the reins um, to take care of, to do her part, take care of the family. And she started, right, going door to door, selling, right, was it fruits, vegetables? Um, yeah. and, I, and I feel like, you know, from reading the book and knowing you a little bit, you kind of passed on those skills little by little over the years to you. And it really helped you at 13, 14 years old, um, really helping run that household. Yeah. Take yeah. care of your mother and your, and your three, right? Three younger brothers? I had three younger brothers. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Um, and people, it gets even more amazing here. So let me see if I'm getting my numbers correctly. It's 1975, right? You're 21 years old at that time. Yeah. And you're in college, right? You're, you're in the big city. You're getting used to all of these people and the city life, being away from your family, even though you have an uncle um, living, living close to campus. It's the, it's the new year of 1975, right? Yeah. There are fireworks. People are, are super happy and, uh, about the new year. Um, they have this incredible optimism. But these fireworks are re replaced by, by rockets, right? Yes. And there's this fear coming over all of these people. Just talk to us about um, the next four years as best you can and how eventually you got reunited with your family. Yes. Um, when, um, during that New Year celebration, we heard the gun, the, the rocket, the bomb in the far distance. So I feel a little bit fearful to say the least. So um, I left my apartment and I, I took a taxi and went to find to my uncle's house. When I reached my uncle's house and he's packed up everything, he was ready to come into the city, he said that it's not safe, let's go back to the city to find the shelter that is stronger than our home. So we traveled back to Phnom Penh, to the city, and we, we went into the, the school, the empty school building. It's not my college, it's, it's the primary school, but it's a strong structure what a shelter, building. Sure. Yeah, so we hide in that building. But on April 17, the Camaros took over. They came in. They came in in the military uh, proceeding. The, the truck and the military people walk on the street with big gun on their shoulder and like their gun is ready to, to arm anytime to, to shoot anytime. And, and some people feel like, oh, it's 
it's peace now. No more fighting. No more fighting between the, the soldier from the previous government and the new soldier from the Communist Party. Yes, they stopped fighting because the previous uh, soldier gave up because they know they are going to lose. Uh -huh. So they gave up. But this new soldier are so young. They are young like teenagers. They wear black. But the next day, they went door to door, make sure that everybody get out from the shelter, leave the city. They did not want anybody to stay in the city. So they believe that they can rebuild the country with, with ground zero. They right. did not, they don't want to have anything left from the previous government. They came in with madness, with resentment, with anger. So they pretty much took all of us captive as their prisoner of war. And they pushed us to, to leave the city by foot. So we all walk on the street by foot in the intense heat. So we did not know where to go and just follow each other, just keep going, walking. And, and I was crying because I want to go home to be with family. You know, when everything bad happened to our life, we want to be close to our family. Sure. You want to go to, you want to, go to, uh, to comfort, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was this way for, for, for four years, right? You're working in the, in the rice fields for 15 hours a day, held captive, sun's beating down on you. You know, you're losing weight. You get malaria, typhoid. Um, and you're you're lied to and lied to and lied to because you you think at times you're going back home, but in fact you're going um, deeper and deeper into the woods, right? I guess yeah. things look good for a minute because you you know you use your faith and pray that things would work out, and you eventually work in a kitchen, right, preparing um, the vegetables. They sent you back out into the rice fields after that. Yeah, but you made a decision to to. Uh, to, to escape, right? And barefoot with, with uh, trusted friends in the dark, you retraced your steps. Uh, just talk to us a little bit about that journey uh, to, to closer to freedom, if you would. Yes, when, when I realized that they moved, moved our camp deeper and deeper into the wood, I realized that that, that is not the right direction that I want to keep going with them. My goal, my intention is to go find my family to help out, to help out because I know my mom can use some help and my little brother can use the big sister to help. And I decided, well, God gave me the courage. I, I feel that God is just leading me to give to have, have that courage to escape. So because I was so frail, I, I, I was not healthy. And I reached out to three of my close friends. I asked them to accommodate me. They, they say, yes, I will go with you. So that's my, my, my team. 
we work sure. together as a team. So we we map out to know where the God is standing and where they are looking. You know, we we wait until nighttime. As soon as the sun set, it's getting dark because it's in the jungle. It's easy to get dark. As soon as it gets dark, we start to move. So we walk away from where they stand to make sure that they don't see us. If they ever saw us, that was the end of our life. We, right. we, never, we never survived. But I just feel like now that I think back, I feel like God was protecting us and leading us our step to to find the way where to go because you can we can get lost in the jungle go round and round and round and never get out of the jungle but it, I would have gotten lost there's no question about that in in your camp your friends how many uh, of you were there Four originally originally at the beginning there was 1000 1000 single men and women but at the end to uh, when they move us to the jungle we probably have less than 300 okay because many of them either die or get executed get accused of some whatever way they accuse wow and, the, and those of you who escaped like that night how many of you were there in the, in that group they escaped only only four of us, four me of us. and my friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and nobody else. Nobody else know that we are escaping. Right. And have you remain? Did you remain friends for a long time after that? Have you stayed? Did you stay in contact? Yeah, they accommodated me. They they went with me all the way until I found my family, and they stayed with us for one whole year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And then finally, after a year, when everything kind of settled a little bit, they feel like they need to move on to go and look for their own family. So we we were separated at that time. Amazing. I'm amazing what what you did and what you, what you've done. You know, I wanted to talk about touch on this before we move on. You know, during your escape, you. You meet up with a, a skinny, frail ox uh, uh, who uh, helps you carry your your belongings. Do you have a Do you have a name for that ox? No. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to. You never mentioned it in the book, but yeah, on your on your um, toward the end of your escape, you you befriend this ox, right? Who who helps you uh, along your route to, to to find your family. And after four years, right? It seems like you know your life has been in four year segments. Four years taking care of your mother initially, and four years, um, fortunately, in the in the killing fields. But eventually, you uh, you you uh, meet up with your family. Now you get back to Batambang, and the house is gone. But yeah, with, uh, I guess a friend or a cousin said, "Hey, um, they're living in another." Uh, another house and it was not close to your your original house right it took you a while no, to, to no. get there um one thing leads to another um you i guess go on to thailand right 
and um, in 1981, you you get on a plane for 30 hours, and it feels like three days or three weeks, right? You get motion sickness, um, and you land in New York City and end up in, I guess, Danbury, Connecticut. Yes. Danbury, Connecticut, and a, and a nice woman named Mary. Um, uh, just get gets you started um, here in the States. It's uh, You have an amazing story. It's an amazing story, I think, of yeah, endurance, faith, perseverance, and, and will. Um, and I think one conversation with you um, could, could turn around, turns around people's lives. But I want to see, Sarah, if you can turn some things around in a game called What, Which, and Where. So it's a little game that we, we play here on the What's Your Inspiration podcast. I give you a, I read you a quote from a book, a movie, whatever, and uh, you try to tell us who it was who said that. Oh my goodness! I'm okay. I'll play along with you. <laughs> Listen, you've been through bigger things in your life. I think I think what, which, and where will will, will, will not be um, too too difficult. The first quote goes like this: Tell me, who, Sarah, who said it? Sometimes bad things turn out good. Sarah, look in the mirror. That was you. <laughs> that was you. I had to, I had, you were just so full of inspiration. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of self-explanatory how, yes. how you've uh, leveraged that to help so many people, right? You know, in, in your story, and I'm sorry but I'm, that I usually don't talk as much, but you, your story is just so inspiring. It, it's just ingrained in my brain, right? There are points in time when, when in those years between 1975 and 79 that if and if you fell asleep, right, um, you probably wouldn't have woken up because you were so frail and malnourished. And and um, but you've uh, you've used that experience to to I think a lead a very fulfilling life and help a lot of people um, that are that are that are in trouble, right? That are thinking about um, taking taking their own lives. Talk a little about uh, your, your work today, if you would, and how and how you help people using your story. My work today, besides writing the book and uh, letting people know about the book, I also speak. Um, I'm an inspirational speaker. I speak to inspired people because sometimes when people hear about how somebody make it out through a very difficult time, it inspired them. And, and that's what I love to do. And I speak at corporate events, at seminar, at conference. And sometimes I create my own event, my, my, create my own uh, conference so that I have more opportunity to speak to inspire my audience. And at one, at one of my occasion that I spoke at the Rotary Club, there was one young woman, she came as a guest of my friend. She came and listened and then um, she got a book to read. And then I had an occasion to see her about four months later. She 
she confront me. She said, Sarah, you changed my life. I said, oh my goodness, how? She said that I have been suicidal all my life, but not anymore since I listened to you, since I heard your story. So that gave me such a fulfillment that yes, it was going through those hard times for four years. Now I have opportunity to save people's lives. And Sarah, I believe this strongly. You, you've, you've saved their life and I think you've saved so many more who, who just didn't feel like they needed to come to you and tell you that. I, I, I firmly, firmly believe that. Your, your impact um, is Im immeasurable. Um, just because of your story. And I've told you this and I'm holding the book in my hand right now. You know, I, I got it yesterday. And it, it's, it's one of those books that you just cannot put down. And I'm not saying that because I'm interviewing you right now. I'm telling you because it's the truth. And we know how precious life is and how, um, and if you read this book, you were just relentlessly hopeful the entire time and use the, 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 the love of your family and in, in your faith um, to, to survive something that unfortunately um, most people, most people did not. Uh, but uh, you are, um, you're, you're saving uh, so many today doing uh, such important work. We talked about this before the podcast, you know, with, with um, social media can be great. The internet can be great, but it also, um, creates, I think, a, a picture, depiction of, of, of life that really isn't real. And sometimes people and kids buy into it and start comparing themselves with what they think others have, and they don't feel like it's worth um, living anymore. But if they talk to you, um, you're sure to turn them around. You have speaking engagements coming up. Can you talk about those? Yes, uh, my next speaking engagement is coming up in July, July 14. That will be a, an online speaking. And my theme for that theme is to reframe your thoughts and find peace. It's very important, whatever we put in our thought, in our mind. But if we, we have power to change our mind. We have power to reframe it, to, to build our life. If we want to build a better life, we better reframe it to, to meet our needs, to reframe it, to, to be positive, to be optimistic, to be grateful, and to find peace. So that's, that's my talk on Thursday the 14th. Thursday, July 14th? Yes. And where is that? It's over, over Facebook, is that right? It's online through, um, uh, through YouTube. Okay. Um, I, will, I will put a link for you. I will send you a link. So if it's on your website, if it's on your website, I'm, I'm putting your website in the show notes. So okay. I'll be able to access that. And people listening uh, will be able to access that as well. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I need to put an, a correct link. The one, the one link on the website, it's not really correct. 
So now they have a, a new registration link. So okay. yeah, I'll mm -hmm. make sure that I correct that link. Perfect. And you've got you've got a, a few a few weeks to do that. You know, reframing it's a, a psychological construct. I'm in I'm in grad school and um, studying for a degree in human relations. So reframing is a is a a big piece to the human relations construct. And I think um, that might should be a course requirement for people to, to listen to you because you ultimately re reframed your mind. You you let no one touch your attitude or actions um, through the difficult times. Sarah, we're still in what, which, and where. You are one for one because you said it. You said that quote, and there, there's no way you can get that wrong. The, the, the second quote in what, which, and where is this. It reads like this. Don't worry about your failures. Worry about the chances you miss when you don't even try. Who said that? <laughs> As you get, I, I, I said that many times. <laughs> <yes, yeah. laughs> I should say this. Uh, who, who originally said that? One of your favorite authors. Oh my goodness. I'm stumped. <laughs> You're stumped. Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield. So one of, one of, one of your favorite authors, um, uh, motivational speaker, just yes. like you. And I'll read it again. Don't worry about your, your failures. Worry about the chances you miss when you don't even try. Yes. There's a, a, a phrase that I like to, re, uh, to reference from time to time. It's from a, a American football coach, Bruce Arians, who says, no risk it, no biscuit, <laughs> simply put. So in a little less formal language, you can say that. Uh, so, um, okay, Sarah, we've, we've you've unpacked an unbelievable story. And, uh, you know, we've shared, shared some laughs together. You've been through a lot. Right, you 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 had a, a great upbringing, um, but became a caretaker to your mother for four years. Um, you held in captivity, right, uh, for for four years, sent to a death camp. You survived the killing fields, and have carved out an unbelievable life um, for yourself and for others. Um, over the past 40 plus years. It's been amazing from, from what, I've, what I've read and what I've heard. What advice do you have for people who have hit rock bottom? What advice? If you hit rock bottom, that means you reach the lowest point of your life. That's good news that you cannot reach any lower than that. The only way to go from now on is the way up and how to pull yourself up. Just do your own, your self inventory. Find a purpose, the purpose for your life. If you live your life beyond yourself, it will be amazing. You cannot give up because you have a, a stronger, a bigger purpose. For me, it was my family, but you have, you have to find your own purpose in life to make a meaning for your life and search for love in your heart. 
love is very important. Without my love for my family, without the love that we have built when I was younger, I probably did not survive. I probably gave up. It's a, at one point, it was a lot easier to give up, to die, than survive. But yes, uh, reach out to find love in your heart and have faith. Faith. Believe that some better thing will happen. You have faith. Faith in the process. And never give up hope. Never give up hope. You're living proof of all of that. Living proof every single day, every every single breath, and we 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 thank you for your strength, um, and we thank you for you know, your space and your time. Sarah, one last question: We know all heroes um, don't wear a cape, but if you had a chance uh, right now to to take an hour car ride um, with anybody, okay. Um, here in body or in spirit, who would it be and why? My beloved mother. I would, I miss being with her and she loved me and I love her. Um, even though she's not on this earth anymore, but we are together in spirit and she taught me so much an ultimate story of perseverance since she was 32 years old right battled and battled and battled and um, was a, a model for you in body and, and, and um, until the, the day that she passed in 2012 and I I usually give you a uh, give my guest a choice in that question between people but I, I had a feeling um, it was mom and I wanted you to to really um, be able to express how much you appreciated her in body and appreciate her in spirit. Um, Sarah, your story is amazing. Uh, do us one favor, keep spreading your message of hope and perseverance. Um, you are saving so many people and so many more that you might not even know. So thank you for your, your, your time um, and space here today on the podcast. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you, Fox. I just want to add one more thing. I um, recently, I decided I want to add another service that I want to help people through coaching, through coaching and mentoring. So if any of our listeners hear my voice and you, you need support, reach out to me. I have a 30 minutes discovery call for you free. Tell us, your, tell us your website. I'll put it in the show notes. Why don't you tell the, the listeners your website? My website is sarahim.com. It's spelled S-A-R-A-I-M.com. You will find many things there. Very simple. And it, it, it is sure, if you need help, it is sure to change your life for the better. Okay. Sarah, once again, thank you for your time and your space today. This has been a uh, a long time coming and, and, and um, just a great experience for me and the listeners. Thank you. Thank you. This will wrap up episode 67 of the What's Your Inspiration podcast. 
Sarah and I will talk at you all later. Take good care. You have been listening to the What's Your Inspiration podcast with Fox Buyer. Because impact on each other is the greatest currency you could ever have.